It's Chump. I just saw the most amazing thing in my entire life. First, you got to do the truffle shuffle. Come on. Do it. Come on. Do it. guys welcome to ramblin an amblin podcast the podcast where we follow the map of amblin entertainment to discover all the treasures within i am one half of your host andy blackbeard godian and i be the other half giggly glenn that's great <laughs> and this week we are joined by our friend and fellow warwick film grad the salty scallywag himself Seb Jones. Howdy, Seb, and welcome to Rambling. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's an honour to be here, chaps. It's so nice to have you here for this movie in particular. Yeah, you may be wondering why we're all talking in pirate talk today, but that is because we are looking at Richard Donner's 1985 film, The Goonies, which has one or two pirates in there. <laughs> Just a couple. And um, uh, it's... It's one that um we kind of touched on it last week as we were kind of building into it that um I've had a, a weird relationship as an adult previous to when I watched it when I was a kid. Um, so I, I'm very intrigued to get into my complicated feelings of the Goonies. <laughs> There's a lot to wait, yeah, a lot to wait to. And I even said before this started recording that I I haven't fully worked through my own thoughts yet. I don't quite know. There's some stuff. There's some stuff that's fresh with this film that I need to discuss with you guys before I have a better understanding of what I think about it. Definitely. As you were saying, I think a mess and a chaos. It's a very strange one. But (laughs) before we get going, um, tell the good people what The Goonies is all about, Joshua Glenn. Or Joshua Giggly Glenn, I should say. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The Goonies are made up of Mikey, played by Sean Astin, Data, played by Jonathan K. Hugh Kwan, Mouth, played by Corey Feldman, Chunk, played by Jeff Cohen. And do we include Brandon? Oh, is he a Goonie, do we think? Or is yeah, he... I think he's a Goonie. He's a Goonie by proxy. The, Brandon, the, the older, older brother of Mikey, played by Josh Brown. Uh, the Goonies take their name from the Goondocks area of Astoria, Oregon, a place they hold dearly and a place they are soon going to have to leave due to the impending foreclosure on their homes to make way for a fancy country club. Lamenting their fate, the boys decide to explore Mikey's attic and check out the cool stuff that his historical curator father has accrued over the years. In doing so, they discover a 1632 doubloon and an old treasure map pointing to the treasure of legendary pirate One-Eyed Willie. Hoping to find Willie's fortune, <laughs> don't let oh, setting our stall out from the start, aren't we? With that, already gi- I, I, I can't not giggle at the name One-Eyed Willie. I'm sorry. <laughs> they knew exactly what they were doing, didn't they? Um, right, let's get this back on track, children. Uh, hoping to find Willie's fortune and save their homes from the dastardly country club owner, 
uh, the boys set out on what might be their final adventure. On their way, they cross paths with the crime family, the Fratellis, played by Anne Ramsey as Ma Fratelli, the matriarch of the family, Robert Davy, and Joe Pantaleano, the legendary Joe Pantaleano, as the two bumbling, bickering brothers. Uh, they're hiding out in a derelict restaurant that, unbeknownst to them, forms the entry point to the underground labyrinth leading to Willie. Care to giggle, Andy? Care to... No, no, I'm good, I'm good. I'll I'll get over it at some point. (laughs) As well as a couple of corpses they have stashed in the freezer, the Fratellis also have their brother Sloth chained up in the basement, a decision with implications far darker than this film has the ability to deal with. (laughs) Um, When the Fratellis capture Chunk and learn of the Goonies' plan, they they set off in pursuit, locking Chunk away with the surely problematic Sloth. Uh, Once the two bond over a baby Ruth bar, Sloth proves himself to be a gentle giant, and the two head off to help out their friends. The Goonies therefore have to evade not only booby traps left by the 17th century pirate, but also the slightly murderous intentions of these cartoon criminals, as they try to prove that they are, indeed, good enough. In reference to the Cindy Lauper tie-in song. (laughs) Smashing tie-in. That's the Goonies. That's the Goonies. That's the Goonies. Um... <laughs> and this is one that I feel like it would be fair to say kind of encapsulates a lot of what people would expect of an emblem entertainment film and that it is like this child child eye view mm. adventure movie with um kids basically finding an, themselves in an extraordinary situation where they are the ones who save the day away from kind of adult responsibilities and that is always the element that's appealed whenever i watched it as a kid and particularly as a kid who grew up on an island with lots of little Mm. caves and coves and um old local tales of um smugglers coming into the bays and hiding their loots in the different uh caves on the island over here what it was one when i was a kid that really spoke to that kind of strand of imagination um seb what's like your kind of relationship with the Goonies is it one you grew up with as well yeah it's one where it kind of a bit like a fever dream I knew I knew I'd watched it and and watched it several (laughs) times I watched it about maybe four years ago as an adult and yeah again having definitely watched it all the way through but I I remember I do remember as a kid watching it and feeling like this is important I was like this is really important (laughs) it's like for me and I knew that um because there are things like uh Indiana Jones and I made yeah. a bit of, of an age where that didn't quite appeal or didn't quite resonate, but The Goonies was like that action action movie treatment for a, a kid's movie. And I was like, this is for me now. And I was like, this is, <laughs> this is a, a big, important movie for me to watch. And um, yeah, when you watch it back, you realize it's not that important. But, <laughs> but yeah, it felt it at the time. Well, yeah, I know what you mean. I think it's it's such a sort of ten-year-old boy wish fulfillment fantasy that watching it again now, I mean, despite the myriad issues that it has, which we'll get into in a second, I do still get taken right back to how I felt as a ten-year-old boy. Yeah, because this is the kind of stuff that you would make up in the games that you play with your friends when you're out playing in the woods and stuff like that. And you sort of the idea, like you say, Andy, is it's these kids who are going to save the town and and make it all better and do it for themselves. That's something that all kids they got a kid empowerment thing that you you very much yeah. want, isn't it? Completely. Yeah. yeah. 
and like the whole thing that's like a giant playground for most of yes. the time as well right? so yeah. you are just sat there going oh yeah I want to go down yeah. the big water slide oh <laughs> man, I want water slide so bad yeah and just the mythical thing of a rainy day because I know there's that production detail of Spielberg just made this film on the kind of wondering of what would a kid do on a rainy afternoon but that's why mm-hmm. again it feels important because that's such a kind of like mainstay of your life as a kid is these boring mm. rainy afternoons and it's a bunch of people who just decide to throw everything at that afternoon until an adventure happens <laughs> because yeah. every time you, you left on a Sunday afternoon on your bike to go around and call on your mates and see what was yeah. going on there was always yeah. the hope that if you pushed hard enough something like this might happen and it never did oh, you man. would just sit yeah. in the phone box see how many people you could cram into a phone box <laughs> or uh, go and buy sweets at the shop and throw them in a river <laughs> but these guys push hard enough and it all comes out when i was about 11 my family moved into this new build estate and it was built um sort of next to an old quarry and so there were there were loads of it's essentially an abandoned quarry behind the field that was behind our house so mm. as a kid i was about 11 years old there was so much fertile ground to explore and so many cool things See, that's like a, a sort of what we thought was a mine shaft that we used to climb in and shine a torch around. And every single new thing we found, we always hoped that it would lead to some underground catacombs or, or like a labyrinthine network of tunnels and stuff that would lead to some kind of gold or something cool. The, the, you're always in search of what this film shows, aren't you, when you're going out playing with your friends at that age? And uh, yeah. yeah. I think the kind of closest I got to it is that there's literally a cave down the road from where I am right now that's it's quite near the coast but like it was one of these caves that always had a weird story attached to it um particularly around witchcraft (laughs) there was one weekend where we were all like let's go in the cave let's go in the cave (laughs) so we (laughs) literally like the kind of the cliched image of all hopping on your bikes and meeting up down at this cave did you bring supplies um, did you have snacks (laughs) <laughs> I'm not sure we did, you know. <laughs> a real adventure then. And we went went in the cave, and it was one. It's one of these. It was an old mine shaft, um, and it or, or like an old um kind of quarry dig out where they were just carving into the cliff mm. cliff side to get the rock material from it. But and it so it kind of was quite light as you were going in, but it suddenly would just kind of like turn away so the light would creep away quite quickly so we always did quite well to get to the point where the light cut out and then it went into kind of pitch black and we kept going down it and um i want to say we probably got like about 30 feet down into it so not massively far but we got Mm. a fair way into it and there was just this bit around the left as we kind of like turning around and going into it and it was just like this old white Wendy house with loads of little tea lights oh. all out. Not, not lit at the time, but they were, they were all like had unlit tea lights all around oh it. God. And we all pegged it out and didn't go back in. <laughs> <laughs> that does sound terrifying. So if anything, I feel like we just stopped short of having a genuine Goonies adventure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was about to start. It was about to start. <laughs> That was the test. That was your equivalent of finding the corpse in the freezer, but you guys bolted yeah. when you could have gone beneath yeah. the fireplace. Yeah, you didn't have what it took. <laughs> all, all we needed was that extra pressure of uh, of the island being sold to rich people. <laughs> in the Unfortunately, your house. you boys then weren't we good enough. It. <laughs> yeah. What would you have called? Because you you grew up in Albany. What would you have called yourselves? Your gang. 
uh probably the Rydunin <laughs> Rydunins. The Rydunins. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the old uh, the old Roman name for Oldney was Rhyduna. So oh, <laughs> that's that's cool though. That's a cool mm. that's a cool nickname for that's a gang. That's pretty cool. What would yours be, Josh? <laughs> we didn't we um I grew up in Wickersley. There, there was a gang that used to hang out. There was a row of shops in my village, Wickersley, that I grew up in called the Tan Yard. And there was a bunch of the cooler kids. I wasn't one of the cooler kids who used to hang out on there. And they were, for some reason, like <laughs> a bunch of uh, kids in my year at school, they misunderstood the meaning of the film Green Street when it came out. And they thought it was really cool and aspirational. <laughs> so they called themselves the Wickersley Massive. Um, which is not not oh, a that's cool such a cliche. <laughs> not, yeah, that's not a cool name. Um, yeah, it goes to show know. we all had these crews, and we all went out looking for a Goonies adventure. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it captures. <laughs> never quite came. <laughs> never quite came. Maybe you're never too old for a Goonies adventure. Maybe we'll have one one day. <laughs> yeah, I think that's. Do you that's remember what Seb? Yeah. Oh no! After you, mate. After you. Um, I was just going to say that's part of the thing that feels important that's like the message of it is to A, maintain your friendships because I think they're all about mm. to have a kind of like uh, a kind of nothing afternoon and they're like come on it's the last time we can do this and then also the importance of maintaining adventure in your life and excitement yeah, and yeah. fulfilment in that way so it is important well I was going to say there was there was one time in second year of uni when you were around at my my, my student flat and it was about 11 o'clock yeah. and I think I either had an exam the next day or I had a, an early class and you <laughs> and another friend of ours James who may be a future guest of this podcast well we'll see if Maybe, Way maybe down maybe the line not. in Lincoln, yeah. we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was in bed watching, I don't know, Breaking Bad or something, about to go to sleep with a cup of tea, and you and James burst in and said, Josh, 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 we're, we're going to go and explore this old abandoned factory that we've heard about. We, we can, we've got a spare bike you can borrow. We're going to go. And I was like, guys, I've got a, I've got an exam. Or I've got a class in the morning. Come on. And you did the whole Mikey thing. Come on, man. This could be our last time to do this kind of stuff. We've got to do it now while we can. And you convinced me. And I remember we went on a little bike ride along the canal and explored yeah. this old abandoned textiles factory or something. And I remember uh, it very finally, well. there was no rich stuff or anything like that. But it was uh, that was a fun evening, a fun yeah. evening of adventure and daring do. Well, so yeah, it. you're right. It's something that isn't just confined to people that attend. It's something you carry through your life. I think. Yeah, it's a spirit. The Goonies <laughs> is a spirit. It's a yeah. it's a way of life. It never dies. It never dies. Goodies they never, never say, say die. 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 <laughs> um, and that, that that whole kind of kids' own adventure feel, um, kind of and and that sense of like taking the moment while whilst you can kind of relates weirdly to the film we did in the last episode, Fandango, which was all about kind of capturing the the last moment where you can do kind of like sense of abandoned shit like this and um so th it's clearly a a sense of storytelling that spielberg gravitates towards too as a again in this in this instance he's working in as a bit more of a hands-on producer capacity than he did in uh the last in the in the last film fandango and he also has a story credit on the goonies um i would just say the screenwriter returning from gremlins for this one is chris columbus who would, of course, go again, go on to do Harry Potter and Home Alone and what have you. So, he, again, he's someone who's clearly got a 
sense of voice for these sort of tales and adventures um and it, he himself seemed to be inspired a lot by the kind of astoria landscape that this is in because i i love how how astoria looks in this movie it looks great yeah such a sweet coastal town (laughs) beautiful i would kill to have grown up there it's everything it's just got everything it's beautiful yeah but and (laughs) instead of um directing this one or like i think chris columbus hadn't directed anything yet um so he was probably slightly out of the running for uh getting a directorial leap um this this film comes from the very very what i feel are like solid sure hands of richard donner um who (laughs) um by this point um he was uh he had what superman the movie and the omen were his two biggest hits Mm. before this um and he had kind of established himself across the um, uh, even starting in the 50s when he was like a 20-something director um, he was already directing a lot of pretty much any TV show that was on the circuit at the time and that carried on well into the 60s and the 70s and he, he directed like episodes of from everything of like the Man From U.N.C.L.E. Rifleman, Kojak, Wild Wild West, Gilligan's Island, Get Smart, FBI and perhaps most famously um he directed the william shatner starring episode of the twilight zone nightmare at Twenty Thousand feet the original short that had the has the little gremlin like figure on the side of a wing of an airplane ripping out the engine there is something on the wing (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, took me back So, so Don has got like this great history of like being quite a workman director in TV. I mean, it, like he made a feature debut in like the in the early sixties with a Charles Bronson movie called X Fifteen, but he didn't really get a big break as a um, feature film director until seventy six with The Omen, which is um, if you've not not seen it, I I highly recommend it because it's one of these religious based horror movies that kind of comes out in the wake of the exorcist success but manages to have its own atmosphere and um iconic imagery all in and of itself largely down to kind of how donna approaches it in a very like big operatic fashion so there's like a lot of very striking film deaths within it along with a awesome jerry goldsmith score are you guys familiar with the omen at all have you guys seen that actually no haven't i haven't seen it it's very strange for <laughs> again the uh, going more into richard donner it's very strange that the kind of big films in his career leading up to the goonies are the omen and then following it up with um superman the movie <laughs> <laughs> in 1978 um it, which just feel like kind of polar opposites in terms of the like what kind of sentiment you're yeah. aiming to strike within mm. those uh, and again superman the movie is another movie i, I have a great great deal of affection for he's the first director that tries to actually take a super superhero seriously on screen which clearly still has a massive wake in today's kind yeah. of culture um but then like following off from superman the movie there's so that's 78 and it's not until 85 that he gets to do the goonies um so should say that he 
was shooting Superman the movie and Superman 2 back to back. Um, and despite the first one being a big hit, he was fired off of uh, the production of the second one whilst they were shooting it because he just had a very fraught relationship with the producers on that movie. And then he kind of ends in this, ends up in this a little bit of a lull in between Superman the movie and the Goonies. So he does make three other films in between, but none of them really hit in quite the same um, with quite the same sort of shockwave as the successes as the Omen and Superman did. He had Inside Moves in 1980, which didn't do very well. He had a really like critically panned Richard Pryor movie called The Toy. <laughs> In <laughs> which also did not do very well. Just movies, yeah, <laughs> movies that do not exist to have no cultural yes. footprint at all. <laughs> and he also had Lady Hawk in uh, <laughs> in 1985 that came out a couple of months before the Goonies. <laughs> there's there's something very partridgey about that name, and she was a Lady Hawk. <laughs> what was the toy about? Um, it's got Jackie Gleason in it as well, and it's about a. Uh, unemployed reporter who finds himself purchased as a toy for a rich spoiled brat that sounds like a good sketch that sounds like a not a yeah. feature film yeah. but a sketch one averagely good sketch <laughs> yeah. we'll um, make it 90 minutes <laughs> is Barry Levinson's toys the aliens to the toy <laughs> alien I think, of, I think a separate entity <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, and then he goes on to the Goonies in '85, a couple months after Lady Hawk. Um, he would have better success further down in the '80s after the Goonies was also a big hit for him, as he would go on to do the Lethal Weapon franchise from '87, and also the likes of Scrooge and Maverick. And um, but yeah, he, ha- he hasn't directed a movie since about 2006. But he is he is pushing 90. Well, I think he is 90 now. Christ on a bike. Yeah, he, he's, he's fair for Richard Donner to take it easy. Yeah. <laughs> but there's that always, always um, touted Lethal Weapon 5, isn't there, on the horizon? Lethal Finale yeah. is what it will be called. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone needs that to exist. I think Mel Gibson might need it right now. Mel. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> but <laughs> I feel like the Goonies probably helped him put him on the path towards uh, bigger success with Lethal Weapon. But I, I just find his whole filmography the strangest kettle of fish. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he strikes me as the the director version of someone like uh, uh, William Goldman, the screenwriter, in in that he's is a consummate craftsman who can dabble in. Like Goldman wrote Princess Bride, Butch Cassidy, and All the President's Men, which are three vastly different things and donna has a very similarly disparate filmography and it can switch register and adapt to these things with seeming ease like adult cop buddy movies and kiddie indiana jones jr films and stuff yeah but then i've got i've got a lot more gaps in my viewing than you have i, I haven't seen the omen and i've only ever seen superman the movie once when i was a, a wee lad um, they're, they're good they're good yeah he, he also made a not very good movie with Stallone and Antonio Banderas in the 90s called Assassins. But if you're like me and like to watch <laughs> if Stallone or Schwarzenegger is uh, your idea of a very, very comforting viewing, then you've probably seen it. <laughs> 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 uh, 
um <laughs> so, uh, so going back into kind of more donna's working on um the goonies i watched um the making of documentary that was on the dvd and it's a it, it it's a very short sweet little account because it it's from it's from the time as well so it was shot on set and um edited to come out on tv around the time that the movie came out and one of the big things that um is really striking from it is his kind of very matter of fact jovial but uh kind of <laughs> almost like stern uncle sort of approach to <laughs> yeah <laughs> corralling to the kids a lot of these kids yeah <laughs> and one quote that i really liked from it <laughs> uh, because of like that like all these kids we should say like for the most part they're all really fresh-faced yeah um yeah. i think like Corey feldman and martha plimpton are probably to to and uh ki kwan from who played short round in temple of doom i think they're probably the only people that had some kind of experience on the temple of doom was what 84 was that right so the year before um cory feldman of course had been in gremlins by this point martha plimpton had a few credits and um but yeah so what but apparently (laughs) donna said like all, all of them individually were like really lovely and easy to talk to and easy to work with but put them all together and they were just absolutely unruly yeah yeah <laughs> mind blowing and one of the one of the quotes from his from this documentary was uh, when asked about what was the most like challenging element of the experience he said i think the most unique thing about working with this many kids is that every night I'm contemplating suicide. (laughs) (laughs) It's so nice to know, though, that like the cacophony of the kids on screen, because you always wonder when an ensemble has got that much chemistry and kind of um, electricity about them. It's so nice to know that that was mirrored in real life. But I heard a really nice one from I watched this like 30 year reunion with like the whole cast and crew and uh, um, Josh Brolin's remembering a time where towards the end of the movie um spielberg was visiting there was like two weeks two weeks until they have to wrap and um dick donner was just like i cannot wait to be done with this i love these kids but i'm gonna get out of here i gotta go to my house in hawaii i'm gonna relax and spielberg was like mm-hmm, yeah sure sure and he's like knowing that this is spielberg recounting it he was like i i then paid for a first class american airline flight for every kid to go out there and was waiting in Donner's house in Hawaii. And then Josh Brolin was like, we got in there, we'd like to open up our suitcases, threw our clothes everywhere. We were waiting in there and they recall him coming in through the door and just breaking down to his knees and turning white and she's like, no, no. The horror, the horror. That's an expensive gag. Oh man. Oh, what a bit. What a bit! What a Spielberg bit! Spielberg the prankster. Yeah, he doesn't strike me as much of a prankster, the Berg, but that's a good one. <laughs> that is so. Imagine after you've just been so exhausted working with all these people, I know. and then you go to get away, explicitly to get away yeah. from them. <laughs> have been enough to push him over the edge. Because it's basically like corralling puppies, like because the the performances are yeah. so amazing, but and they they are so professional in those moments. But like, 
the amount of attention to make a Hollywood movie and him to be, just be constantly pulling in all of these threads while also encouraging them to go like off the chain and like get hyped up yeah. and get crazy. Like it must have been incredible. Do not, you've got to be like a good teacher. It's a weird balance yeah. to walk being firm but also being, you know, on the level and friendly and encouraging. Yeah. It's a tough job. It's a real, I mean, you know. It's a very tough job. Yeah. <laughs> Fair play. I'd like to think that this shoot was a five-month shoot, so that's that's like it's like I know that for movies of these sort of size, that is pretty normal. Mm. But for like you say, that having to corral everyone into yeah <laughs> working constantly and keeping him focused for that amount of time would have been rough. Yeah. Um, one of the main techniques that he used to ensure a kind of sense of genuine performance in it and a bit of order was similar to how he um spielberg shot et in that they shot a lot of it in sequence um so so i think that does kind of help for uh, and particularly as it moves into its final act where he deliberately kept like the whole pirate ship away from them so they couldn't see it at all until they were actually yeah. shooting on that day yeah that it, it all it all does build into that genuine sense of like you say chaos but also kind of camaraderie between all of them uh but also it's weird because like i think now we can kind of go more generally into what we thought about the movie going into preparing for this um this is a fit like it's been a few years since i watched it i think the last time i watched it was at a warner brothers 80s event um that they were screening it at and my my i don't really remember the watching the film that much because i think i got a bit drunk (laughs) (laughs) my main memory is that they had an arcade out in the foyer and i was like killing it on space invaders (laughs) (laughs) in my head there was a whole crowd around me watching me do really well on space invaders I don't think so. I I was trying to work out when I've seen this film last because it was, it was a real mainstay when I when I first saw it as a kid. It was a real rainy Sunday afternoon film, and I watched it an awful lot. And the last the last time that I recall watching it in its entirety before this was when my my gran was babysitting me and my sister once. So I must have been about you know, yeah, ten eleven thereabouts. And we're like, oh gran gran, we'll pick Sophie and I'll pick the film. The goon is, you're going to love it. It's great. It's like Indiana Jones for kids. You're going to have a great time. And we, we put it on. And almost immediately, you got this hyperactive kid energy pretty much from, from moment one. And my gran was just, she was quite a, um, she was a very uh, um, uh, sort of brittle old northern lady, my gran. <laughs> and uh, she, 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 she was, she was uh, maybe that's the wrong word. She was, she, she, she had a sharp, scathing wit. Did did, yeah. did 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 Sylvia Monaghan, and she was sitting there, arms arms crossed, brow furrowed for the very start, and then about twenty minutes into it, you like this? Do you do you, do, you, do you, is this what you think's good? You 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 like this, do you? Huh? And we said, do you, do you want us to turn it off? Grand? No, 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 it's fine, it's fine. If this is what you like, then we'll watch it. It's fine. But uh, you know, you know when you 
<laughs> when you're watching something that you love that you love with someone who's clearly not enjoying it yeah. and you're like looking over your shoulder the entire time waiting for their face to change yeah. but it's just absolutely not and she had a very very bad time bless her um, <laughs> and that it was such a, a viscerally upsetting experience for me and my sister it very much coloured our experience so <laughs> that was that was very much the glass shattering moment for me oh really the adult the disapproval took the sheen off for yeah. you yeah 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 i think very much so and uh and and it's never been the same since then i, I, I don't know that i've watched it all the way through since that point yeah. um because <laughs> i was so traumatized by my grand you think this is good do you? <laughs> what, what do you think she didn't like about it well i think what what most people that watch this film as adults don't like, and, and, and it is just, it is the hyperactivity of the kids. Because mm. like you say, Seb, it's the really good child performances and they have such chemistry as a group. But I almost think this film is so good at conveying what a bunch of like 11-year-old boys would be like together that it's almost to its detriment because it is yeah. annoying. It is, they yeah. are, they're, very, they're very loud and there's so much, so much bloody yelling. And it's irritating. <laughs> it's annoying. It is. <laughs> and having watched it as a kid, I was like, oh, cool. It's got boys that I would hang out with in the playground on screen. That's awesome. I love this. But, you know, if I didn't have that connection watching it now, I'd be like, oh, God, what is this? What, what is this? What is this yeah. bloody noisy rubbish? So I think it was, um, she, she was very much an old Hollywood fan. She wasn't much into uh, <laughs> sort of that more modern stuff. Yeah, because it is unashamedly for the kids, and yeah, and yeah, it does take things to an edge, doesn't it? Like what, what kids movie starts with uh, a hanging, and then yeah. setting a police station on fire? Like that's the adults part of it. That's the ad- adults, yeah. which is supposed to have even like a modicum of like sensible kind of <laughs> like moving the plot along, and then do the whole way through. Yeah, it just like. In the middle, it almost sags. The amount of uh, mm. the glut of booby traps and yeah. uh, <laughs> and arguments by that point. There is a point two thirds of the way through where you're like, "My God!" Like my <laughs> eyes were hurting. How many booby traps I'd seen? Like my I eyes did... were watering and like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did. Uh, after a point, I did keep checking the runtime, and I thought, "There's there's half. How is there half an hour left? <laughs> yeah. How is there still half an hour to go?" Um. But I, I should probably say up front as well that despite all the reservations that I have, especially watching it now with slightly older eyes, I still do love this film. It is still yeah. a film that that has uh, that takes me right back to to, mm. to being this age and the, the wonder with which you see the world and the the thirst for adventure that uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't think ever quite goes. And it's nice that it gives you too much because that like. Mm. the the death of um, booby traps and kind of ride <laughs> elements like the water slide at the end the, the kind of like visual treasure the fact that kids get to touch all the treasure all of those things it's like your gran opening the sweet cupboard and just being like go go nuts like no no holes barred like as a kid you want too much like you don't, you don't know if you've had enough until you've had too much and so it's like an adult was just like, I'm not going to put a small amount of anything in here. <laughs> it's just like a sugar rush of everything. It's like, I'm going to rot your teeth and your brain with this movie. Enjoy. And it, yeah. <laughs> the, the thing that really struck me this time is that kind of like, there is a real divide between the moments where it's kind of, I feel like a very genuine sense of them as a group hanging out together and, um, feeling a very like palpable anxiety for losing their home, and then this kind of chaotic 
um, adventure in the in the latter half, and I I was really like I because <laughs> I was I was prepping myself for the worst of being like oh this is gonna just come across as sure and annoying a bit bit more so now yeah but like for the first like I want to say like twenty minutes or half an hour before they really kind of get going in the adventure I was really kind of struck by how measured everything seemed and how kind of tightly controlled everything was because even from like you say this again it's a weirdly dark opening there's a lot of weirdly dark elements to this at at play but like (laughs) you then get this (laughs) this weird this um really well done establish establishing opening credits that cuts in between the fratelli's escape from prison and establishes each and every individual of the Goonies group um, doing their own respective things before then coming and landing on uh, Brandon Mikey at home, which is where you start getting a bit more of the context of the plot and what have you. Yeah, But it, I do think it's, it does very well at um, initially establishing all these characters in their own unique and distinctive ways that... Um, flows very nicely and has the uh, and also the the Dave Grusin main themes already kind of going along and adding a lot yeah. of kind of propulsive energy to the, these initial introductions and then even like this first moment of hanging out at Mikey's house um again going back to what you were saying Seb it's that kind of like longing for adventure on a rainy Sunday mm-hmm. day where you're all just hanging out with your I think that that particular scene might be my favorite in the whole thing because it's just all these <laughs> young, young lads as friends hanging out and kind trying to like get something trying to get something going and then yeah. the jokes that they're having amongst the, amongst themselves are all feel really organic and genuine there's a really really good energy yeah. amongst them yeah. in, these, in these moments be it from and even like the kind of sweeter touches with brand being there for mikey when he gets a little upset about the impending foreclosure on the whole town um or or even just like the little joke touches as well of brand um telling him what word what word he wants to say yeah, <laughs> yeah that's what i said that's what i said <laughs> <laughs> that's a good runner that is funny like sean austin is really yeah, good at is doing really those funny. beats that's what i said <laughs> and, then, and then even when they go up in the attic and they're going through all the weird the weird stuff in the attic i mean yeah there's a lot of fun in establishing that growing sense of they're finding something to do and then it's only really once they're actually down under (laughs) under the restaurant that things started getting a bit more chaotic in a way to me that felt like nothing was really that much in control and it was just We've got these things. We have to shoot in these sets now. <laughs> yeah, get yeah. It done. yeah, it's crazy. Once they go underground through the tunnel in the fireplace and begin, that's kind of where the adventure begins. So it's quite again, it's quite a long, um, it's a, a, quite a long time establishing things for for a kid's attention span anyway. Um, but yeah, when they go down there, like you said, the all bets are off, and it's just like, it's just this kind of like <laughs> crazy crazy sequence of events none of them have of any consequence and i remember as a kid <laughs> you just accept everything that comes but watching yeah. it as an adult at any given moment i was like why are they doing this now i was like why why have they got to play yeah. the piano thing why is their rocks falling and it doesn't really matter there's nothing it struck me too it, it, it's really it, the whole the, there's, there's there's a system of like rube goldberg type trap machines that, that are there to sort of 
challenge them and 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 they've got to overcome these things to get to the treasure but they're all pretty dumb and the fact that chester yeah. copperpot who is is their predecessor who back Crushed. in like <laughs> but back in what back, back in the 30s was it that he was he was doing his thing yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying like, to think. He had a he had a Lou Gehrig baseball card. Yeah, so like thirties, forties. But the, for him to have been caught out at the first trap, he was a shit explorer. He wasn't very good because there's a point <laughs> when Mikey says, "Hey guys, we guys, we guys further than Chester Copperpot." I think if Chester Copperpot was doing Chester Copperpot was doing this for a living, this was his job to be an explorer, and he got crushed by one of the first big bell rock things. Useless. He was a shit explorer. Lightweight. And then it get, <laughs> gets to a point that they, they go through a few more of those arbitrary traps and they get to the waterfall bit. <laughs> and Mikey goes, Hey guys, the beautiful waterfall. Keep it in your pants, kid. <laughs> And like, there's, a, there's a clear way into this uh, into this underground cave system from the from the wishing well. Yeah, they could have yeah. just if, if they had done their research and prep work, they could have just hopped down. Copper could have just skipped ahead and, and jumped straight down. <laughs> but there is that thing as well when they 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 lark around. There's a few booby traps and there's, there's a weird little fumble in the dark with like adolescent romance yeah. and stuff like that. And there's a lot of after the sort of the setup of the first 20, 20 minutes, half an hour, there's a lot of just lounging around in the caves and having a bit of fun and, and it feels very leisurely and lethargic. And then all of a sudden, literally out of nowhere, Josh Br- um, uh, Brendan says, what are you talking about? They're here! They're here! And suddenly the yeah. pace is picked up again and out of nowhere, the Fratellas are suddenly on their tail and it's suddenly a ticking clock thing until it's not again. And they've got loads of time. You know when they're when yeah. they're crossing that log over the river, and they're, 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 the Goonies have to play the correct keys on, on the this piano. skeleton piano. Yeah. Yeah. And the Fratellis are like they're about ten meters behind them. But then all of a sudden, the urgency that was just pulled out of nowhere ten minutes ago is suddenly tampered down because they need a good fifteen minutes for the sequence. And the way that it plays with the stakes and and like the idea of the the how much of a threat do these guys pose? They pose as much of a threat as the film needs them to in the given moment. There's a real inconsistency. Maybe it's not like a grumpy old man, I don't know. But there's no. a real... Yeah, I was going to say that. I, that that's never bothered me at that's all. Not. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, I don't know. It's, even, it's even so stop-start. Like, come off the Chester Copperpot stuff. I, I more read that as... These are the guys who are destined to find One-Eyed Willy. <laughs> I read it more in a kind of like <laughs> fantastical <laughs> predestination sort of. They are the because they have their own Rude Goldberg machine at home, so yeah, they're going to be the ones who do. are more in key with One-Eyed true. Willy's uh, mindset and sensibilities. And even yeah. like there's <laughs> when M- Mikey's always chat like kind of talking to One-Eyed Willy throughout, and there is that greater sense of connection. And that, like, the, there was just a weird detail that I read about the novelization that um, <laughs> when, <laughs> when Mikey gets to um, find One-Eyed Willy, apparently in the novelization it's written that one he sees that One-Eyed Willy also had an inhaler and it was like, oh, you were just like me, Willie. And I was, I'm like, it's a good thing that isn't in the movie because you, you would just be sat there going, it's like, what pirates <laughs> in, the, in the 1600s and a doctor prescribed inhaler? <laughs> I was Wheezy Willie, but I, I renamed myself to One-Eyed Willie. <laughs> the whole the whole sequence through the caves as well is like, um, 
this isn't related to anything in particular other than I felt like I could smell down there the amount of time that those kids and preteens would have been in there I felt like I could smell it like kind of <laughs> clammy testosterone hyped up kids and it's like a <laughs> it's kind of a metaphor for the whole movie that like the chaos and like it just it intensifies intensifies like you said the, the drama like builds up falls away as the film needs I wonder whether the kind of energy of the kids ended up taking over any sense of moving the plot forward and then it's such a relief when they get out even if it is a big kind of gigantic uh, studio stage set like very visibly with the with the ship and everything but I just felt like for the first time in like an hour I was like oh I could breathe there's no more shouting inside <laughs> caves speaking of smells down there one one detail that I loved is there is a point when, when they go pee break pee break pee break pee break and they establish a, an underground toilet system, mm. like a, a boys' room and a girls' yeah. room, this is and the a men's, men's room. room. Yeah, <laughs> the men's room. You know, it's, it's a silly trifling thing. As, as, a, gen, as a, a guy that often needs to break off from things to go to the toilet, um, it's nice to see people in the middle of a quest <laughs> just decide, hang on, guys, uh, pee break, need to go. And Very true. Um, really refreshing. Uh, do, do you guys have a favourite Goonie out of the bunch, or is it more of a all work together as a collective sort of thing for you? Um, I definitely do. I don't know if you have anything said, but I definitely watching it yesterday. Um, yeah. When I was a kid, the one that I always wanted to be a friend with was Data. I thought Data was yeah. absolutely rad, and I, I do still think Data's pretty rad. But this time around, the one that got that could sort of that made me laugh so much. Was uh, was was chunk? He was he was the guy for me. The whole that whole bit, that whole bit when he um <laughs> when he gets he gets trapped in the freezer with the corpse. There's some great business there with the corpse, and then the boys are like, "Go get the cops! Go call the police!" And then he runs to the road and he sees headlights coming. And before he even checks who's in the driver's seat, he says, "I just was with these disgusting people, the Fratellis, and I could easily, I could easily identify all three of them. Can you please take me to the sheriff's department?" <laughs> and then the light comes on, and it's the Fratelli brother, and it's it's such a funny beat, and he handles those moments so so well. And then the difficulty when they wrestle him into the boot of the car. <laughs> And the corpse falls onto him again, and he starts weeping. That whole <laughs> sequence with Chunk and the Fratellis, what, what I think, was my favourite part of the movie. It was it just—I've never laughed that much at that. It is phenomenally good. He's I such a funny Chunk. Was and when he's, sad. he's spilling his heart out to them. Oh yeah, I wondered whether Chunk was more sad uh, that he didn't get to go on like the bulk of the adventure, or whether the kids were more jealous that Chunk got these incredible scenes with the Fratellis because, like you said, they're hilarious. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, he gets the he gets the incredible scenes with it, and he also gets his own brother slash. Uh, I mean, what, what, whatever sloth is to him by the yeah. end of it, he gets to keep him. Yeah, isn't he? You're gonna <laughs> yeah. come with me now. He belongs. Oh, to the <laughs> yeah. I think I'd echo, oh, I'm finally free. <laughs> um, data as a kid and now, it's the level of competence and capability of data. Uh, that's the first thing. There's, that a, there's a confidence to data. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like the only <laughs> one. He's picking up useful items as they go. He picks up sticks of dynamite. He lays booby traps after yeah, them. Yeah. Um, but there's like a. It's the same reason I guess he works so well in Indiana Jones. It is Temple of Doom he's in, isn't it? Um, yeah. But it's like this. Um, it's there's like a real kind of um, 
weather-beaten maturity about him the way he talks to everyone is like i've been doing this for years and you're getting in my way and he's just like he really knows what he's doing he knows what's <laughs> what he's frustrated by like his colleagues he's the only person who's got any sense of a plan throughout the whole thing and he, he provides such an amazing like crackling energy to the whole cast like the, seeing him zip around and like yeah he really lifts the whole thing so yeah i think for me Ada and you andy it's your favorite goonie yeah and i in a in a weird way kind of like a to kind of like slalom in between the two of you a bit i think chunk's the funniest um <laughs> i i think i think it's a shame as, as a former fat kid myself i i was always slightly hurt by the fact that all the jokes are a lot uh, a lot at his expense but, yeah. <laughs> yeah um but he also does have some of the most genuinely hilarious moments in it particularly yeah. with the moment with the with the fratellis where they're like now tell us everything and it's like everything okay i'll tell you <laughs> in second grade <laughs> and the people in the theater started vomiting on each other and i never felt so bad in my life <laughs> the worst thing i ever done <laughs> that whole that whole bit i think is so funny a bit like the it's way like old. robert davy's gone from like kind of holding him in a threatening way to just being like yeah. reassuringly got, he's got his hands on his shoulders and he's just patting him through the story. <laughs> my i like this kid yeah <laughs> um i saw an interview with um is it jeff cohen chunk the kid who plays chunk yeah. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah. is from this is some like old <laughs> vintage YouTube, but there was like a kind of archive interview between him and Terry Rogan. Terry Rogan in uh, it's like wow eighty six, so it was like a year after they'd done the movie. And Jeff Cohen, the kid who plays Chunk, is like the persona is exactly the same, but he just speaks with that like freakish kind of like um, that freakish kind of <laughs> ownership of himself, very self self possessed, and kind of in that way that child celebrities come across as way more mature than they should like precocious kids that go on like Ellen DeGeneres yeah yeah um it's insane he's got this kind of like wisecracking like Jewish New Yorker shtick kind of humor it's incredible <laughs> like Terry Wogan starts off he's like and, and how old are you well, well I'm uh, I'm uh, 14 going on 45 and uh and he's got he's wearing this like, he's wearing this, like seagull hat that's um controlled by like little pulleys from on like either of his ears so he pulls these pulleys and the wings flap up over his ears and Terry Wogan's like, what, what, what are you wearing there? It's like, oh, well, this is my hat. I find it uh, very useful when I'm flying on airlines because, you know, you can flap left, you can flap right. And uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> and then he's talking about how we got onto the movie. He's like, Stephen, Stephen found me in the gutter. Yeah, I was drinking myself to death. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm into uh, salads and aerobics. He's just like going, 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 wisecrack, wisecrack, wisecrack. And I think by the end of it, Wogan hates him. He's like, he's too, he's funnier than Wogan. He's getting like more laughs than Wogan. And Wogan at one point tries to like body shame him. He talks, asks him about his eating and his weight. And then uh, Jeff Cohen yeah. just pats his belly. He's like, what do you mean? I'm at, the, I'm at the peak of my physical health. What are you talking about? <laughs> and um, Wogan's got no comeback and yeah, it ends quite sourly. <laughs> but <laughs> I think Jeff Cohen, <laughs> Jeff Cohen won the interview. Shit. <laughs> that is wonderful. That sounds incredible. It's, it's definitely worth the watch. We'll, uh, we'll have to find that and... Uh... We'll find that and put the link in our bio. It's really good. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Cohen won the interview. Oh, he God, won. that sounds hilarious. <laughs> so oh, I, I did I did want to ask, because the triffle shuffle is something that I think is, is, for a certain generation, is very ingrained in the pop culture lexicon. And it's something that I thought for a while, um, back when Bebo was a thing, 
the triple shuffle scene was my video on Bebo. You know, when people opened up my profile, that was the thing that played because I was big. Into First, you got to do the triple shuffle. <laughs> do it, <laughs> do it. And uh, I never questioned it, but looking back now, it just it seems like a weird and cruel thing to make this poor boy do. What do you guys make of yeah. the triple shuffle? <laughs> I, w- I want to know if any other member does the truffle shuffle, has to do the truffle shuffle. <laughs> yeah, I'd imagine it not. A chunk-specific thing. <laughs> yeah, I imagine it's a chunk yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is a weird and cruel thing to do, but there's a lot of cruelty between all of them uh, throughout the movie. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Like, and it's mouth that... established as being a naughty boy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Sorry, Very naughty. But it's just, it reminded, it was like an always sunny in Philadelphia level of cruelty and kind of mm. unkindness between yeah. them. And that plus the constant arguing. Yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. And the way that um I think Mouth in particular has an always sunny vibe to him, like when he's yeah. mistranslating to Rosalita when the mum's yeah. taking him around the house. So much sex and drug jokes in the, in like the first yeah. twenty minutes yeah. of this kid's movie. <laughs> yeah. And like the penis statue joke. My girlfriend like... came in. <laughs> yeah. So carry on. My 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 Spanish language speaking girlfriend came in during the scene when Mouth is showing Rosalita around the house and she was giggling at the mistranslations and she went, Oh, he's a stinker oh, this yeah. one, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he is a stinker, he's is a real it, stinker. Is the Spanish actually any good? It always struck me as like pretty pretty poor <laughs> Spanish on this part. It sounds like it was learned phonetically, yeah. I just saw him speaking about the Spanish yeah. he spoke because someone actually asked um, uh, Corey Feldman if he if he knew Spanish or just those lines, and he didn't actually respond to that yeah. question. He just recounted every single bit of the Spanish that he does in the movie like perfectly word for word. <laughs> that was his answer nice. to the question. So yeah, we, I guess we don't nice. know. That's pro- that that's a professional there. I, that's <laughs> he's like, All right, that's the bit I need to learn. Yeah, <laughs> just thirty years later. <laughs> the 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 rest of the group I think are fairly fairly blank if to they or just kind of like i i think mikey's quite sweet in terms of like being this kind of hypochondriac kid and also sickly kid and also mm. the kind of solve mm. the adventure but he's also kind of a wetter at times <laughs> he is but i think i think it is a shame because he he is a wetter and he is i i, I do think he's a bit irritating like i now feel really bad for calling a 10 year old a wetter no no I'm gonna say a nice thing, but I'm just gonna say a few mean things first. Like <laughs> his his constant speechifying. You wonder if if the other Goonies thing again with the bloody speechifying. Get off your soapbox, <laughs> Mikey. For God's sake, shut up, boy. Um, but what I think I do think that Sean Astin is maybe the 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 best performance in the film because he he's really good at those kind of sweet. A lot of the running gags, particularly the one that we mentioned earlier about him mispronouncing words, he's so good at being kind of like a flustered middle-aged man, but in a, in a young boy's body, he, he's doing That's a lot of. <laughs> yeah, I think he does. He does a lot of good. There's a lot of caricatures and a lot of cartoonish caricatures in the film, but I think he does a lot of good character stuff. True. Even though mm-hmm. it's not as fun as the rest of them are, so he, he kind of gets the thankless straight man role. But I do think he does do yeah. some good work, Sean Astin. He really does, yeah. He improvised some bits. I heard, you know, when he's recounting the story of uh, One-Eyed Willie and the ship that went down and the war, they're in the attic and they're just mm. finding the map and things. Yeah. Um, apparently, uh, Richard Donner told him the story in the script as he wanted it. 
He told it to him once right before they shot and he said, uh, aside from that, just go for it, add whatever you want. You can see him, when you watch it back, you can see him kind of like put it together mm. and there was a pirate and the, the ship went down yeah. and there was an explosion. And um, But yeah, it really works for his breathless kind of <laughs> delivery of yes, everything. that's exactly it. Yeah, because he's like all he's like staring in one because it looks it looks almost like he's reading cue cards. He's yeah. staring at one fixed spot, kind of. But I guess he's just in his own head. If if, if yeah. you know, if he was freestyle, yeah, oh, that's that's cool. It, it does work. It, he's got the Spielberg wonder face too. You know yeah. that, that it's in ET an awful lot. People, yeah. look at a huge spectacle with wonder in their eyes and. Yeah, the wonder cool. face, yeah, and what is, yeah, it's just that brand of boy then and girl as well, but that that Spielberg, Spielberg kind of nailed down, which is just a kind of the archetype for so many other films after, but that just that that particular look of Sean Astin yeah. in at that age, yeah, that slow draw into camera on these moments as well, where they have that kind of gaze of yeah. awe, yeah, that it's still in here, even like uh, even if he's not like hands on in the director position again we should should note that he this is another one similar to poltergeist where he was on set pretty much like every day and yes like and, and richard donner again was also very open to him to be like yes come in and help me control these kids and yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> best shots that we can <laughs> yeah <laughs> um i i feel a little bad for kerry green and Martha Plimpton as yeah, Andy yeah. and Stephanus because I do feel that for the most part they they're not as welcoming. Like even the nature of their characters kind of coming into the story does almost feel like an afterthought of the screenwriters going, "Oh, we should probably put a couple of girls in here." Yeah, um, yeah. And it, they they feel a little shoehorned into into the proceedings, and I I think they're both really likable in it. Yeah, um, but yeah, yeah. They they are often used as just kind of for in like Carrie Green as Andy's case, she's kind of like used as the kind of love, love affection for Brand and also yeah. for funny funny like the kind of silly funny coming of age gags with Mikey, and then Martha Plimpton has that kind of sarcastic best friend role, yeah. but also this very weirdly shoehorned element of uh uh kind of relationship with mouth which very i mouth. always yeah even yeah. as a kid i remember finding this relationship very weird and i don't quite know why it's being played yeah. out <laughs> you, you your face is kind of pretty no you're kind of pretty when your face isn't messing it up <laughs> roger ebert described that exactly the the use of the two girls in the film in pretty unkind terms or i don't know if he was just picking up on how mm. kind of um shallow their treatment was but his phrase was something like yeah, the girls are brought in for uh, screaming and spit swapping, and that's it. That's the only name check the girls get in the whole review. Screaming and spit swapping. Screaming and spit swapping. That's, that's not entirely. I, th- I think they do. They do what they can with what they have, but I think that's not yeah. entirely incorrect. <laughs> no, yeah, unfortunately what he not. Said. Yeah, and um, there is. Yeah, there is. There is like, something I wanted to bring up was that there's one line reading that um, that Andy gives when they're in the waterfall bit and they 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 want to bail i thought you were going to bring this up i don't know why i just knew that when you said (laughs) josh had said to me beforehand that there was a line reading that he wanted to share and i was like i wonder if it's this one and i think it's the one but (laughs) (laughs) but there's this one like everyone's wanting to bail then mikey does another another one of mikey's speeches um but before mikey's speech 
Andy says a line that sounds like something out of Garth Marenghi. <laughs> Somebody could get seriously hurt or dead. Or dead. Don't say that. Goonies never say die. <laughs> Somebody could get seriously hurt or dead. Uh, I, get, I do get what you're going for, Andy, but it doesn't. I don't know the, the the formulation of that sentence. Just there's a couple of sentences that are just quite tin-eared, and that was one yeah. that just made me made me giggle a little bit. There's one more um, mm. from the end that I want to do later, but when when we get to the end, all right, the conversation yeah. at the end, then I'll do it then. But so, yeah. <laughs> but I'm pleased. So, so <laughs> it's a thing that you picked up on as well, Andy. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> fair, fair play to Gary Green. It's a weird line to say. Thing, it's a weird line to say. I'm sure yeah. this has been covered before in your other podcasts, and especially with like knowing that the Goonies and ET are big inspirations behind um, Stranger Things. But I really could not mm. yeah. see the the archetypes and that like literally cutty cookie cutted yeah. out from here. Like the two girls, it's literally Barb and Nancy, and uh, the parents too look almost identical. And there's just a useless dad at the end. That actually is probably one of my favourite characters. Yeah, it's yeah. Just a, a completely unpresent dad, yeah. apart from like a wooden speech at the end. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's kind of one of the. I guess, I guess let, let's talk about the end then. In that case, because it's such a weird that sudden gush of of mawkish sentimentality once they get out of the cave, and they're reunited with the parents, and all, all the, the the press vans are there suddenly with their TV news crews. And they're filming it all as as if it's been a like. There's a whole film from the. I want to see like a Rosencrantz and Guildenstein thing from the parents' perspectives, trying to track these kids because you don't see an adult, do you? Really, F- from from when the kids go in the apart from the Fratellis, from when the kids go in the in, underground, and so you've you've no idea. All of a sudden, the parents come as if they've been missing them for yeah. For I, mean, I don't know how long the kids have been gone for, but this sudden gush of sentiment really comes out of nowhere and it's completely yeah. unearned. Like it's, really, really you, you haven't is, yeah. seen you've seen Mikey and Brendan's mother, but you haven't seen any of these other people any of these other parents before. And then there's that there's that really toe curlingly saccharine line from Data's dad about, you know, you're my greatest inventor. Oh, I quite blah, like blah, blah, that blah. line. Oh I, <laughs> I thought that was Where does that emotion sweet. come Again, from? <laughs> I just I, it's because they're kids and they've been missing for what is probably about a day because they've. <laughs> it's I not been like long. Be they've been quite day. efficient about it. I quite like that line. Just, the, so, the way Kihoi so Kwan plays it. What was the line at the end there? Sorry. The, when he's like, the Data's dad tries to take the picture of Data and his mum and the camera breaks. And then he's like, don't worry, dad. And then his dad is like, you are my greatest invention. Oh, I, like yeah. I like that. Oh, I like that. You can't. That's it. Yeah. And because, and because, and because it's like going for a character of data who we've all expressed that we really enjoy and like. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's very sweet to him. <laughs> it's yeah. The one thing I you, heard you, was you, you can't that, um, hug a photograph. You can't. Um, you can't hug a photograph. Yeah, you guys may have come across this production detail before. Not production detail, but a detail of ET. Um, in your other podcast, but I heard that E.T. E. was banned in Sweden not for any of the kind of like oh. alien uh, elements, not for any of the kind of like violence or kind of government control, but it was banned because it showed parental neglect. 
like a level of parental neglect which was just intolerable to the kind oh, of really? <laughs> moderators yeah which I've is, heard about that. Which is, like, is we didn't mention it in the episode, though. But yeah, because yeah. like, you that can't ring a bell when you when you hear it that perspective, that you can't unsee it in other Spielberg movies. Because the whole point is like adults take a departure to allow kids to have this adventure, and the Goonies mm. is the same, really. I mean, I think it ups the danger. See, I feel very defensive towards Dee Wallace in ET, but she's doing the best job she can. She's got three kids. You know, she, know. She, she, it, it, she's got a full time job. She's the she's the breadwinner and also the full time parent. Yeah. She's doing a tough job in ET, and I, you know, I feel I don't think that's fair on Sweden's part. That that's no. that's unfair editorialising. <laughs> I think she's doing the best job she can with those boys. I find it quite funny on the flip of that. Um, there was one bit that struck. It's just come back to the front of my mind that made me laugh watching this the other night. Was um, you've got this whole fact of Mikey's mum is trying to keep um Mikey inside because of his <laughs> asthma coming. Yeah. And yeah. um but and he and he gets out but then there's a point where he's cycling past his dad once they've run away and he just goes, Hi dad and the dad's like, Oh hi Mikey <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like <laughs> clearly the dad's even like completely I oblivious to the I fact totally that his son has that. asthma and shouldn't be out and about <laughs> on this damp day. <laughs> this I, totally I think that. I think he he's a de- yeah, he, he's a dumb schmuck. There's that point at the end when, um, when uh, oh, there, I mean, there's a whole bloody subplot with so the the, the country club owners who are going to for, uh, foreclose all the homes and, and and level them to build their country club. It's this man, Mister Perkins, who's got a son called Troy, who's been also, creepily how big is this hitting on Andy the whole be? time. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Town. Also, <laughs> I, I mean, like a sidebar within a sidebar for. Because it had been so long since I watched the film last, I thought that the corpse in the freezer was Mr. Perkins. I thought he was Troy's dad for the longest time. And then at the end, I, when when you saw Troy being a little shit throughout the film, I was like, ah, your dad's dead, kid. You've got to look forward <laughs> to when quite. you get to the end of this thing. And then on, 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 the, on the beach at the end, Mr. 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 Perkins comes back and um, he thrusts that contract uh, to Mikey and Brendan's dad and makes him sign and Mikey's dad's trying to sign it on the back of Mr. Perkins. For about three but hours. He's good, yeah, a good thing for the Goonies, he's so slow. He yeah, either yeah. can't read this thing, or he's... I don't know what is it, but he takes so long to get the pen to the paper in the time that he, he takes to, to try oh. and sign this ah. thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, it's like is, he, is he shielding his eyes from the sun? Is he like, is he, is he, is he lamenting the fact that he's going to sign it all the way? Is he just an idiot? Probably all three of those things. But in the time that he's trying to sign it the goonies the goonies rosalita in fact finds all the jewels, the jewels in the marble bag and that de facto means that everything is fine <laughs> and mikey's dad all of a sudden out of nowhere gets this big character moment and in in the style of like adam west he says there'll be no more signing of things now or ever and just tears this thing up and throws it like confetti <laughs> Like, he hasn't even got the facts. All he knows is that Mouth is saying, "Don't sign this thing." He's like, oh, that's good enough for me. I'm gonna tear this thing. There'll be no more signing today. No, not a second ever. <laughs> Reflection. No, I don't know what you're talking about, Mouth, but I'm. That's enough for me. No more signing. So I think he is just a bloody moron. I I wonder how much of that kind of chaotic energy of the of that final act and like you say this kind of like all easy to tie resolutions comes from mm. the fact that 
because uh, you can you can find it on YouTube as well. There was a whole there's a different ending to the movie where um no they're found on the beach and then there's a whole beat where they go back to Mikey's house and they're all downtrodden and sad that they're gonna have to go and it's there in the house that they found oh. the jewels uh, and there's not like a big grand gesture and then a big final shot of the ship going out on the horizon. I like the ghost um, ship shot. Sure. Is that this more yeah, I like the big ship too. <laughs> I like the big ship, yeah. 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 Big ship's good. It's this more contained contained moment of them all finding it together and then and then being like, Now we can save the Goondocks. So I wonder how much of it is just from the fact that they're like, let's just get all this done here so that we can have that yeah, final yeah. shot, the ship going out. It is, <laughs> yeah. It, it's yeah, it, it, it's it's pragmatic. But what the one thing that I think speaks to the increasing sloppiness that just kind of reeks of fatigue on the other part of the filmmakers is that the news crew starts talking to the kids and the first thing that we hear is data say the scariest part was the octopus and as as a person watching the film with no context you might think why is he talking shit i mean there's so many cool things that he's talked about any of them why is he lying straight away but there is a deleted scene in which they are accosted by an octopus in the water by the pirate ship i'm desperate to see um, that what data is referring to but it's just it's a it's a really weird oversight, right? That, that really that weird, yeah. yeah. So specific, so. But then I did also hear from Dick Donner. This was where he was. This is at the thirty year reunion thing. So he's like ninety four, and he was saying there's over um, by his estimate there's over one hundred thirty five goofs. No, sorry, three hundred thirty five goofs left in the movie. This is that they know of that they just couldn't take out because there are so many already. So people saying the wrong characters, yeah, name, yeah. calling each other by <laughs> the actor's name, like swear words that weren't supposed to be there, like yeah. And he's and he's just like, it was three hundred and thirty-five. I'm working with these kids. You're lucky it wasn't three thousand and thirty-five. Because <laughs> it's just there must have been absolute bedlam. It's just. <laughs> But then each <laughs> each stage of the film, um, again, I think this is the reason it uh, appeals to kid logic, is because at no point does their progressing to the next stage of the adventure really rely on their powers of deduction, skill, anything like that. Mm. They basically um, break and smash and just like uh, shunt yeah. their way forward, which is <laughs> yeah. if, I, if you were a kid who had gotten mixed up in this wildwood adventure... I think one of the things that would make you feel like you're kind of precluded from doing it is that I, I couldn't like do the kind of reasoning an adult needs me to do to follow this bread trail of <laughs> breadcrumb trail yeah. through a, yeah. to a treasure mage. So they just, at every point, the way they get forward is to just smash and break things, which is, I think, what most 10, 11 year old kids would do. And I yeah. think at least yeah, like, this one, yeah. one of my favorite, the funniest moment for me is when they're underneath um, the underground they just grab hold of all these water pipes um which are kind of water pipes to the country club and other places and again like i was like trying to watch out for what the reasoning is i still don't know if it was maybe to communicate with the outside world but they just start going uh, shoving them down ripping them out and like there's like water spraying out and i just remember just thinking <laughs> there is no earthly reason they're doing this is there there's nothing they didn't set it up as like a thing they had to do they didn't need to get water in any way they're just destroying yeah just for a comedy and then you get, <laughs> yeah, you get the shot of troy sitting on the toilet reading reading guns, guns and, and ammo, ammo. <laughs> yeah there's a very he's holding it to the camera in a very purposeful way and then yeah and he gets blasted up 
and he cries for his daddy. And at that point in the film, I was like, ah, your daddy's dead, boy. You're not going to see him again. Ha! And then I now realize that his daddy's not dead. Who was the guy? Who was the corpse in the freezer? Um, was he... That's an FBI guy that I think that had come to on the trail of the Fratellis and got um, got by him. Iced. And, Literally and iced. He got got. Mm. It's the staff. The staff. <laughs> I, there's, there's, this has been a good, a good chat, and I think we've covered some good ground. But there is one elephant, I think, in the room that we, I don't think we've really delved into, and certainly on my part, this is the one. This is the thing that I meant when I said that I don't have my thoughts formulated yet. Um, sloth. Mm. I, I, I do not. I, I don't. I don't understand. I don't understand the character, <laughs> and I don't. I don't know if it flies today or not. I, I don't know how offensive it is. It because the film is in such a cartoonish register that nothing should be taken seriously. Mm. Um, and and of course, sloth exists as kind of an amalgamation of various different. Uh, yeah, did, uh, even to say disabilities sounds diminishing to genuine disabilities because it, it's so cartoonish and ridiculous. I don't know what he's going for. I don't know what he's supposed to yeah, be. Yeah, it's a good I question. I don't know. Because there's a point when he reunites with his mum at the end and she's singing Rockabye Baby and Sloth is like, oh, the, the, the lyrics of that song remind him of what must have happened to him as a kid. And there's a moment where you think, oh, this is this is kind of this is this is tapping into something maybe a bit more serious than has hitherto been the case, but then it reverts back to cartoonish yeah. antics, and it's it's just it's a, it's a really really strange character choice, and <laughs> it's just it's hard it's hard to look at with twenty twenty one eyes and just make any sense of at all. Just I I don't know what to make of sloth, and I just wonder what your what your takes were on sloth. Yeah, it's a tricky one, sloth, because I think a I. I think I used to be more of the bent of you know it's a movie it's a goof knock around but I think I'm I'm very prepared to accept yeah. that there's there's depictions of deformity and disability which um yeah just don't fly mm. and and maybe don't come come from a good place if the whole point of um sloth was to make you a little bit scared of him then to do that through kind of like yeah obvious deformities is not maybe the most uh <laughs> doesn't isn't coming from the kindest place and I know there's been things with like. Anne Hathaway's like you know the new witches the remake of the witches they have just kind of like yeah. three fingered mm. kind of claw hands and that's also been commented on by like disability activists um yeah I think it's maybe it maybe speaks to how how far the the movie blurs genres and how heavily involved horror mm. is in all of this so again not to say it's it's yeah. right but I think the whole point of the Fratellis was to make them this um kind of like <laughs> quadrat of really freaky unpredictable characters they do it in way more creative yeah. ways like the the i forgot the 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 most violent fratelli his habit of just bursting into italian opera is genuinely horrifying yeah. really <laughs> scary and unsettling yes. and it's, it's, yeah. it is very scary isn't and it yeah. Mar fratelli Jake. is horrifying i heard that they told her to really slap her sons there's a lot of times in the movies where she slaps her sons across wow. the face for their buffoonery he was told to do that, do it as hard as possible. Um, obviously, Sloth is the one that turns, and you see he's just got a heart of gold. But yeah, in the first place, yeah. it's it's definitely questionable. <laughs> yeah, I've had, I've got a few thoughts on it. Um, mm. And again, you you've kind of touched on one a little bit there, said by saying like how it 
kind of plays on this film blending genres a little bit because I've always even as a kid I always found the character quite like a strange addition to the dynamic and the makeup of the film but um kind of thinking about it and the way that that certain images are associated with the character there it's more of a case of like I don't think anything's being done to be offensive and it's just come yeah like it's particularly now these days that it comes across as just maybe um a little misguided because it does Mm -hmm. entirely play up to kind of like pre-existing even in this time notions of uh representation for disability on screen where you have the kind of um there's the fear factor but they're really like the lovable lug they're a figure that has to be cared for and then there's also this yeah. like super ability to the disability where he is shown to have like super strength. These are all kind of yeah, yeah. cliche stereotypes and tropes for on-screen representation for the particularly this kind of disability at this time. But then yeah. also kind of kind of coming back to what you were saying, Seb, about the horror element. It does initially, particularly when he's revealed, it's building on this kind of again thirties idea horror movie yeah, idea yeah. or like even even later it's kind of an element of Todd Frank, Browning Frankenstein kind of, or like yeah. yeah yeah or even like a kind of Lon Chaney hunchback sort of thing yeah, going yeah, on of something yeah. scary in the basement and um but then it kind of tries to reverse your idea of that by attaching his character to different figures within classic Hollywood by having him associated with Errol Finn's yeah, swashbucklers yeah. and having exactly, him in exactly. the final moments yeah. have the chance to like live out his kind of like Errol Flynn fantasies, um, which come feels like it comes from a, a sweet place that makes it a, at least a kind of yeah, more yeah. problematic elements that you have feel a bit more palatable because it there it does feel like there is this sense that they are trying to reconcile with this kind of image and idea around deformity on the screen. Yeah. Well, I, 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 that's kind of that's where I, I I felt that it was a bit more misguided than it was offensive when I saw it because I felt like like you say he does get to live out these swashbuckling Errol Flynn fantasies and there's a really nice beat at the end when Sloth carries his mother and his brothers onto the beach and the police pounce upon them all and the Goonies all rush to Sloth's defense and like no no he he he's a good one he he's a he's a he's a he's a good guy he's with us he's he saved us and that kind of thing and I think it's like that that idea of the, the visualization of acceptance and the fact that he's twinned with with Chunk, who is kind of the Goonies, the 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 the, the one that the Goonies all dump on and make do things that play on his own body issues and stuff. The fact that they find comfort and strength together. I, I do think the film yeah. has the best intentions with it. I think you, this kind of shit couldn't fly now. You couldn't have a character like Sloth these days. But I I, I didn't I you know I I didn't think that it was particularly i think it comes from a good place i think that it's 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 the the intentions are good with this character yeah it's just a little bit it's a shock to modern sensibilities it's also just weird (laughs) in in terms of like it being placed in the middle of the movie so it's a a weird thing to yeah it's one of many things in this film that (laughs) just feels strange (laughs) yeah Yeah. oh this is here too (laughs) yeah 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 yeah, it's true. In terms of, because you can kind of work, you can reverse engineer an element of something or a joke to see uh, who who's the kind of like 
to see if it comes from a good or bad place and you can look at like who's the supposed to yeah, be the butt of yeah. a joke or who's the victim of a joke and at no yeah. point is sloth really ridiculed beyond like maybe his just innate kind of um his innate qualities and his appearance and yeah at no point is he stitched up he doesn't end up head down in a barrel or with his trousers around his ankles like and yeah as a kind of final moral message it's kind of he's set free by friendship and same with uh, yeah. same with chunk yeah. Yeah, the, the 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 ones that really get taken the piss out of the Fratellis get a lot of physical gags at their expense. Uh, yeah. Josh Brolin gets a lot of kind of physical gags at his expense too, and he's kind of the most archetypally yeah uh, hunky, attractive, all American boy. Troy Troy gets so much business thrown his way. Yeah, and he is kind of the film's <laughs> view of a young concert, a young Republican um, American conservative boy. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I do. I think there's a lot about the film that's dated and a lot that's annoying, but I think that its heart very much is in the right place, and it has this transformative power to take you right back to what, what how you saw the world and how th- like the sense of being on the on the precipice of some great adventure that you felt when you were, you know, ju- just just the other side of being a teenager, and um, for, you know, for all its flaws, it is a film that I do love <laughs> still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to profess a lot of love for it. It feels like a uh, yeah. It's got the same quality watching it now of as like picking up your favorite like VHS tape as a kid. It's kind of crackly and <laughs> it's not perfect. It's <laughs> uh, kind of blurry in spots and messy, but it's yours. It's your favorite thing. It's yours. The Goonies are yours yeah, to keep. Yeah, That's the yeah. best thing about the Goonies. They're a bunch of losers. You kind of want to be in their crew, yeah. but then you realise that like, your crew is probably as big a bunch of losers <laughs> as them, so you don't need to. You don't need to be with them specifically. Yeah, yeah, good. They're, they're, they're good enough. They, they, they are good enough. <laughs> they are good enough. <laughs> oh, speaking, speaking. Oh yeah. Speaking of that, Cindy Lauper song. <laughs> <laughs> so. so, so <laughs> Cindy Lauper did the time single for this film. The Goonies are good, good enough. And you you get a glimpse of the video in um the film itself. A bit of the kind of extra texturality mm. going on within the narrative itself. <laughs> um but um I watched the video ahead of doing this because I it, it just clocked to me. It's like I don't think I've ever actually watched the Cindy Lauper music video for The Goonies Are Good Enough. Um and it is the weirdest coked up shit from the eighties <laughs> I've ever seen. It's horrifying. I watched it on your recommendation. It's it's so weird, it's right? It's a, it's a goddamn mess. It's really unsettling. Did you watch both parts? Um, no, I didn't watch the second part. Oh, I thought they Christ, were just a. Li- I thought there was just a kind weirder. of fake cliffhanger. <laughs> What happens? In the no, second no. Part? It's li- so, so I'll just, just say to you, dear listeners, but you can watch the Cindy Lauper music video on YouTube in two parts. It's fifteen minutes long in total, <laughs> with the deep parts. Plants Cindy Lauper as a character, I assume, into the narrative of the Goonies. Um, <laughs> her parents own a petrol station that is being sold to some rich folks out of town which are made seemingly made up of a sleazy couple of sleazy american businessmen uh weirdly dressed european and a very racist stereotype of a saudi prince yeah. um, and <laughs> she finds a tunnel in the back of a 
parents' petrol station that leads her into the same cave that the Goonies are in. She joins the Goonies for a bit of a weird adventure. Some magical pirates pop up and kidnap the Goonies. <laughs> there's this weird, <laughs> there's this weird green moss lady. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then then the final part of the the, the part that um you haven't seen Seb. She comes out of the cave after rescuing the Goonies from. Uh, well, after asking for Steven Spielberg's advice of how to get out of this situation, in which Steven Spielberg pops up for a cameo and goes, "I don't know." <laughs> it's so embarrassing that bit. <laughs> and then there's a whole, whole bit where they manage to they 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 shoot they shoot a bit on the pirate ship and get back to singing the song because they often forget to sing the actual song in this music yeah. video. <laughs> Um, there's this whole bit where she gets back out I should also say um, one of the evil businessmen is played by wrestler Roddy the Rowdy Piper Um, she gets out (laughs) of the cave with some jewels to be able to pay off this group of rich people that are trying to buy the land that her parents petrol station is on and they all refuse the jewels so then she magics up Andre the Giant <laughs> and Andre the Giant just goes to town on these rich folk that are coming Man. and then there's just this whole whole bit with the announcer we're going Cindy save the day with the help of Andre the Giant oh, it's so embarrassing I can't believe that's how it ends it was honestly one of the worst things I've ever seen it's, it's really like when you give like primary school kids like, full license to do whatever they wanted for a project but it's by adults and producers that should know way better it's a horrible thing to watch cocaine's a hell of a drug I, 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 yeah, I re- like I, I joke, but I got a really hellish coke vibe from yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just empty. Well, man, no, the eighties. We 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 weren't around to see it, but it, it's a it's a wild t- time capsule of a music video. And who knew that they released music videos in two parts? Oh, <laughs> fifteen minute. Yeah, that's definitely a cocaine project. A fifteen minute two part <laughs> yeah. music video with no narrative whatsoever. <laughs> Uh, truly horrifying oh, truly stuff. Horrifying. <laughs> hey, hey, it's out there in the world. Good song though. Oh, it's a good yeah, song. Good song. Although I've got an, an interesting tidbit about the song. So yeah. um, the kid that played Mouth, mm. um, Corey uh, Feldman. 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 Yeah. He. Um, this is an interview I saw with him as an adult, like about he was like thirty years old, so like a fair while after the movie, and he was Mouth, like he was just mouthing off this entire interview. Um, he talks about the day where they yeah, revealed the song to the kids because they said, um, you know, Cindy Lauper is um, creating a music, a song and a music video just for this movie. And they're all really pumped. And then he recalls when they were played the song for the first time. He's like, we all looked around. We're like, this is crap. This is not much good. You know, and we thought, <laughs> OK, Cindy Lauper's made a music a song for us. Cool. But uh, it could be better. I wish it was better, and uh, he kind of had the same <laughs> attitude as an adult as he apparently did as a kid. Poor swine. That's funny. All of them look very like uncomfortable in the music yeah. video. They all seem like they're just being told to do stuff <laughs> with the loosest kind of idea, and they're all just like, yeah. "Okay." <laughs> 
very strange artifact uh, attached to this film. I mean, very strange. <laughs> the film itself is a very strange artifact, even though it's kind it of is. yeah. So I guess it's quite fitting. Yeah. <laughs> like to, to go back to what Seb was saying, in in the Stranger Things draws so heavily on on Goonies in particular, and yet Goonies is one of those films that. You look back at your ETs, and ET is an unimpeachable classic. It's like it's one of Spielberg's best, one of the best. It, it, it is just a it's, a it's a it's a film that stands the test of time. The Goonies doesn't in the yeah. same way. The Goonies is is the biggest beneficiary of nostalgia, but that nostalgia is so potent, so powerful that it can be repackaged and it can be used as the basis for this hit Netflix series, Stranger Things, and. Um, you know, it can stand on its own two feet. It's yeah. just, it's a, the Goonies is such a bizarre phenomenon that it, 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 it's quite, I think it's hard to intellectually understand. It's more of an emotional understanding that you have to have with this film. Yeah. It just appeals to something that we all have, the little kid that we all have within us. The fans still. love it. Enduringly, it is really yeah. enduring. Because I saw an interview with Josh Brolin, as like the age he is now, however old he is. And mid 50s now. Mid 50s or something, yeah. And, um, yeah. He was not like Conan O'Brien. The second he even mentioned, I have to talk to you about the Goonies, the audience just goes, yeah. wow, Goonies. Yeah. There's people in the audience with like <laughs> Goonies t-shirts on. Um, yeah, which I think always speaks to like people who feel like they've got ownership over a movie. Like we yeah. were saying, I think it's, yeah. it really feels like yours. Feels like yours as a kid. Feels yeah. like yours as an adult. Yeah, definitely. Well, I know we talked about it a little bit with Richard Donner. When we were talking about Richard Donner, we mentioned him kind of constantly working on the idea of a lethal weapon five uh the goonies two is also another one that always gets talked about with richard donner and how the and chris columbus it's apparently always gone through various <laughs> stages of script development um and it's one that some of them some of them say is happening and some of them say is not happening i think dependent on how employed they are at the time <laughs> yeah. um and I asked a similar question at the end of our Gremlins episode because Gremlins is a similar one that has a third one always kind of touted, touted and discussed and is it or is it not happening? Um, would you guys ever want to see a Goonies 2 or do you think these Goonies should stay in the caves? I'd go with a hard no because I'd just be really worried about there being um, an incredibly like sanitised version of the Goonies coming out because... In the same way that Home Alone 1, Home Alone 2, you get all the violence, the gore, the kind of body horror. And then the third and fourth ones, they're just like yeah. these really kind of like rosy, safey. Yeah. Kind of, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's more like an episode of the Looney Tunes than real Home Alone. And what I love about the Goonies, I think what you could really easily lose or rip out from the heart of it is um, the the level of mild peril is great. Like I love, <laughs> it's it's not mild peril. It's pretty moderate to high, and I feel like I just really love the fact that um, Spielberg and Donna they really like they trust mm-hmm. you as a kid to do the kind of heavy lifting of an adult's movie. There's some really scary, freaky parts in it. There's like the suggestion that a little kid's gonna get his arm blended off uh, by the Fratellis. <laughs> They're like blending tomatoes or something in front of him, and then they put his arm in the blender. Um, yeah, I really worry. I think you could really easily lose all of that, and I don't know who'd be like. I don't know. I don't know who'd be brave enough to kind of recapture all of that spirit of it. Because again, to go back to the kind of genre blending of it, 
it um it really crosses into the territory of like a teen movie as well like i get kind of super bad vibes from it like the kind of gluing of the penis upside down on a statue and like them all saying shit and dick and everything i just feel like you wouldn't get that these days all the the kissing business too yeah yeah but yeah what about you josh i don't i i i i don't i don't think i want to either um, I, I I don't even know is 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 the Goody sequel pitched as a continuation of the the cast as it was, or yeah. is it going to be a whole new cast? So it like, would be the, them as parents. I think has always right. been the idea. So that that makes me think of it part two, which was almost three hours of you know um, the same shit, <laughs> just, just 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 doggy paddling, yeah, water treading. Um, like getting high up its own self-imposed mythology. No, I, 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 I yeah, I, I don't, I no, I, I'm very much in Seb's court. I, I, I don't think that will be a good idea because if you want that nostalgia hit again, but with a modern view, watch the 30th uh, anniversary reunion show. You don't need a whole movie to coast on that kind of. And you've also got, like Seb brought up earlier, again the the the, the Stranger Things and, and even it, the first it movie. It, plays heavily on the dynamic established in the Goonies. Yeah. I just think you have that thing repackaged in a modern context. You don't need a sequel that will coast on what the original did. I, I don't know. I think yeah. it will only be bad. <laughs> yeah. It was done. <laughs> and you, Andy? What do you think, Andy? Yeah, I, I, I do agree, because I, I feel like the idea of it, I, and you can, it's something that you can very easily picture as yeah. a sequel being that they are the, now the parents and their kids are going off on a adventure akin to what they went on. And I could, you can, one, you kind of have the idea of like, well, what is, what is going to be, are you just going to do the same instigating thing to get them to do it, go out on a similar adventure? There can't be yeah. another buried treasure in a story of Portland. Um, so <laughs> um, but also it, in the, like yes we have so many legacy sequels now that come and arrive and shouldn't work but some do work better than you think they should um Cobra Kai um <laughs> but <there's> all... <laughs> he's got to get it in there i think this is yeah. the first time you've mentioned cobra kai yeah it is I, i've now. been restrained i've been restrained wow well but... well done no good no good for you man good for you um but i also <laughs> i also feel like you can picture the goonies legacy sequel kind of having that idea of reverence for the original when i just don't think the film is as quite as solid as that reverence would kind of no no fit and feel if that makes sense yeah definitely it it would have to it would have to kind of work in a in a cobra kai approach where you do just kind of have to be a lot more self-aware of the kind of which could work like like that's not out of the realm of tonality for continuing this property it's just whether yeah I know. I it's a sort of thing that I just don't think would ever feel that organic and particularly as no. you guys have said, you have these um spiritual kind of properties that play on the same dynamics and there's even a film on um that came out on Netflix earlier this year called Finding Ohana, which is a Hawaiian set kids adventure story which is um very much in the Goonies mold. And I think even Kihoi Kwan has a cameo in it so it evidently plays up to it uh, and similarly to how sean astin pops up in stranger things you can have this yeah. kind of sense sense of continuation and spiritual 
yeah. um, reverence without necessarily having to actually do anything with the property itself. And yeah. I think that's even a, a better life for the Goonies to have rather than a straight up sequel. Yeah, yeah, totally. I'd agree. Yeah. Um, also, I did just want to say, Ohana means family. Couldn't <laughs> 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 hear Ohana. Didn't <laughs> get any Lilo and Stitch impressions when I came on. <laughs> hey, man. Lilo, we could do that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sabe, you could have been doing Lilo and Stitch impressions this whole time. Next time. God damn it. <laughs> uh, so, at the end of the day, Lilo and Stitch is great. The is good. Cobra Kai, Andy likes it. Uh, Cobra Kai is great. It, it chapter no two. No goodies too. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's all I had, guys. I think that that's pretty much. Yeah, good. I, I think that's I'd, pretty much uh, all my points. Unless there's anything else you wanted to say on the topic of the Goonies, Seb, we'll wrap it up uh, here. No, nothing other than I think the joy of it comes from it being a film that's just bursting at the seams with stuff it's like (laughs) opening up the dressed up box again on a rainy day and putting everything on all at once so you're wearing a pirate hat a tutu you're holding a magic wand and you've got a bag of sugar in the other hand (laughs) and that's let's go let's go (laughs) i think that is that is the most perfect summation that i could imagine for the goonies yeah i don't want to say anything else to uh upset that Thank you all for joining us for our ramble about Richard Donner's The Goonies. Uh, We're going to be keeping things in 1985 for a wee bit longer um, for one of the defining Amblin hits in our next episode on Robert Zemeckis's (laughs) Back to the Future. You can tell Josh is excited. (laughs) (laughs) This is a big one, fans. This is a big one. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, boy. It's uh, I'm sure it's one of Josh Glenn's favorite films. It's one of <laughs> one of my childhood favorites as well, and it's one I imagine many of you out there hold in very high esteem. So it's going to be very very fun to talk about this one. It's going to be. I mean, I, I don't know that there, it's been so picked over over time. I don't know if there is any, any new light we can shed on it, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun to just because the, even the production history of this film is fascinating. Before yeah. you even get to the content of the film itself. There's so much to discuss. It's going to be a five-hour episode, so scrap yourselves <laughs> in, folks. Um, I can't edit that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you'd think that 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 folks would have either owned it on 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 home media or seen it in recent memory. But if if they haven't got access to it in a physical media sense, Andy, where can they find it? Um. Yes, you can find it if you have a Now TV or Sky Sky Go subscription. Um, Otherwise, it's a weird one. This is the first one I feel like I've come across where you can't rent and buy it in the Mm. same places. You can rent it in some places, um, (laughs) but you can't rent it in other places. (laughs) You can can rent the film from Chile or YouTube, or you can buy it digitally from Apple TV, Chile, Google Play, Microsoft Store, Rakuten TV, Sky Store, and YouTube. You can also, and I, I have to emphasize, I'm not on the universal payroll. I'm getting nothing from this, but there was a recently, last year, there was a 40th anniversary 4K edition box set <laughs> released that I personally am very excited to get my grubby little mitts on. 
you could do much worse than, than, than treating yourself to that. Um, I sound like a shill. I'm not. I, I wish I was on the payroll, but I just. I, I bloody love. I, I love these. I love these movies so much, and I want you to enjoy them in the best possible. If you're uh, listening, Universal, Josh wants swag. If you have thoughts, I mean, come on. If you have any thoughts about Back to, of course you've got thoughts about Back to the Future. Uh, tweet them at us at Ramblin Amblin. Or if you feel uh, particularly fancy, email us at ramblinaboutamblin at gmail.com. You know, while you're at it, while you're listening to us on whatever uh, podcast host you listen to us on, give us a like, give us a rate, uh, subscribe. And if you have the time, give us a review. We would not turn that away. Do all those nice things. And um... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think all that's left to say is thank you very much Seb for joining us as like, as as much fun as I knew it was going to be talking oh, about it's been great to have you absolute pleasure, chaps. absolute pleasure thank you so much for having me it's been like a little very, very welcome, mate. cosy uh, afternoon by the fire with our slippers on <laughs> it's been great made me feel very at home thank you I'm very very glad uh, thank you all for listening thank you Josh as well for Coming along as always. <laughs> Thank you, Andy, for steering the ship. Uh, what was your pirate name again? Uh, Andy Blackbeard Godian. Not very original because I do just have a black beard. <laughs> Blackbeard. <laughs> yeah. I am Andy Blackbeard Godian. He has been Josh Giggly Glenn. <laughs> and I will continue to be Josh Giggly again. Again? Into the, uh, into the and we have been and we have been joined by salty <laughs> salty Seb Jones. <laughs> I would also like to add that we never say die. <laughs> we never say die here at Ramblin' Nabla Podcast, and we hope you all take care till our next episode on Robert Zemeckis's Back to the Future. For now, goodbye. Good night.